Hey, we love being able to gather. I mean, it's different. Yeah, we know that. Um, but how good is it that even in a small way, we can still be together. We can still have music sung over us. We can still worship the Lord. We can still sit under preaching and hear God's word preached. If you're new and visiting us, uh, whether it be online, um, I trust you wish you were here because it's so good to see people's faces and to be gathered. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Colossians chapter 3. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, we're in the middle of a series on Colossians. Uh, it's a letter towards the back end of the Bible. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, we'll You know, you can just read along with us as we read. Uh, We're actually, by way of context, going to start uh, the reading this morning four verses earlier in chapter 2, verse 20. So if you have your um, Bibles there, let's begin reading from Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. This is the word, this is the living, breathing word of God to us this morning, church. What a privilege to sit under and allow God. God to speak to us this morning. Let's read chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been Raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as your people this morning gathered, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you are not a God who gives us the silent treatment. Though that would be right if you chose to do so. But you are a God who speaks to us words of life because you love us, you made us, you know us, and you want relationship with us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so, Lord, I just want to thank you this morning for this word, and we pray as we come before it, Lord. Open our eyes this morning to see you rightly to see you, to know you, to trust you, to be changed by you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lying in a 27-kilometer tunnel 
175 metres below the ground between the French and Swiss border, lies the world's largest machine, the Large Hadron Collider. Requiring a third of the power of the city of Geneva to run, this machine was a collaboration between 10,000 scientists from 100 countries and took the European Organisation for Nuclear Research, CERN, 10 years to build, costing approximately $9 billion US dollars to construct. Why? Why this enormous international effort to construct this machine? Well, the simple answer is to solve a decades-old mystery in physics, the mystery of the Higgs boson. A professor of physics, Leon M. Letterman, writes the following. Today, we have the standard model which reduces all of reality to a dozen or so particles and four forces. It's a hard-won simplicity and remarkably accurate. But it is also incomplete and, in fact, internally inconsistent. This boson is so central to the state of physics today, so crucial to our final understanding of the structure of matter, yet so elusive that I have given it a nickname, the God Particle. Why God Particle? Two reasons. One, the publisher wouldn't let us call it the Goddamn Particle, though that might be a more appropriate title given its villainous nature and the expense it is causing. And two, there is a connection of sorts to another book, a much older one. Professor Letterman's point is that all of reality can be explained by four forces and 12 particles. And this boson has a connection to the book of Genesis in that it's the last remaining piece of the puzzle, as it were, in our apparent understanding of all of reality. In 2012, the Large Hadron Collider successfully achieved the purpose for which it was created and produced evidence of the existence of the Higgs boson. The reason I wanted to start here this morning is that the creation of this world's greatest machine and this quote by Professor Letterman in so many ways represents the spirit of our age. There's this kind of arrogant assumption that we can understand everything in existence, that all of reality can be condensed down to four forces and a dozen or so particles. There's this confident belief that nothing exists beyond the physical world, and so this missing particle is the God particle, the last remaining piece of the puzzle. But here's the truth. It's so easy, even as Christians, to begin to be duped into believing the spirit of this age. To be skeptical about the existence of anything beyond what we can see. We can begin to believe that the only things that are real 
are those that we can see and those that we can feel. But today God wants to get our attention and renew our vision. He wants to help us see clearly what is truly real. See, the truth is that you won't be able to walk faithfully along the path of following Jesus if you unwittingly accept the godless vision of our secular culture. The truth is that there are glorious realities in this world and in our lives that are completely invisible to us. And we need the truth of God's word to open our eyes to see it clearly. Now, today's passage is wonderful in that it doesn't just contain glorious truths, but because it's also immensely practical to us as well, which we'll see. Uh, today, if you take notes, I've entitled this message, Set Your Gaze on Christ. And I really have two points for us this morning if you're taking notes. Uh, the first point, our new reality. And the second point, our new focus. Two points but one real hope for us this morning, and that is that seeing reality clearly, we would set our hearts and our minds on Christ. Let's dive in. Point number one, our new reality. Uh, Just by way of context, if you're new to this letter of Colossians, uh, Colossians is a letter by the Apostle Paul writing to Colossae, a small community of unimportant ex-pagans in an insignificant city in the Lycus Valley, which is in modern-day Turkey. It's planted by Epaphras. This guy was a local, uh, and he formed this small eclectic group of new disciples that were united together by Jesus. And Epaphras is describing to the Apostle Paul, who's in prison, about this community, about this church, how they have great faith in Jesus and great love for one another. But Paul has also heard that this new teaching is taking root in Colossae, taking elements of Jewish teaching and of pagan teaching and of Christian teaching and kind of combining them all together. And the message is Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus plus a whole bunch of different things to get close to God. And Paul is writing this letter as a kind of vaccination. He sees the danger of what could infiltrate the church, and he's writing this message that Jesus is all you need. Last week, uh, Paul warned them against legalism. Don't let anyone trick you into thinking you need anything but Jesus to get close to God. Don't be fooled by diets or festivals or worship styles or self-deprivation or ascetic practices or spiritual encounters or worship of angels or any of that stuff. They look so good, but they're worthless. This week, Paul now pivots, and having warned these believers about legalism, he now moves to adjust their vision and help them to see how they ought to live in order to please God. Just as these baby Christians in Colossae were in danger of letting pagan and Jewish culture infiltrate their perspective, though, It's so easy for us to allow our skeptical, godless culture to unwittingly influence the way we view our lives and the world around us. And so Paul really saw two areas where they needed to have their vision adjusted. And that's our first point, our new vision. The first area they needed to see their vision adjusted was that they needed to see their new spiritual life. Why don't you read with me again chapter 2, verse 20. It says the following. If with Christ 
you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Paul for some time now has been talking about this amazing new relationship all believers have with Christ. That they're joined to him, they're united with him. You see, when someone comes to repentance and faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, they're baptized by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of the Lord Jesus comes to dwell in them permanently and they become permanently joined to Christ. In the Bible, we call this union with Christ and it's incredible truth. It means you're so tightly joined to Jesus by the Holy Spirit that what he did becomes what you have done. So his perfectly righteous life becomes your life. His death on the cross becomes your death. His resurrected new life becomes your resurrected new life. His glorious new nation, his glorious new kingdom becomes your glorious new kingdom. His rich inheritance becomes your inheritance. But here's what we're so prone to forget. This is not our natural condition. See, the moment every child is born into this world, they're born joined not to Christ, but to Adam, our ancestor. Adam is simply the Hebrew word that means humanity. Adam is the leader of a nation that lives in opposition to God, a nation focused on self, a nation that is cut off from God, a nation that is unwilling and unable to please God, enslaved by a desire to reject God and rightly deserving of punishment. It's a nation that wants to chart its own path to God, a nation that is spiritually dead, writing its own rules and regulations. And in the Bible, this Christless nation is often referred to as the world. And so Paul is saying, if you died with Christ, if you've been joined to Christ through repentance and faith, why, as if you still belong to the world, do you submit to its regulations? You're acting like you're still a part of the nation of Adam, like you're still trying to chart your own way to God. Like you can get close to God by doing this or that or thinking by not eating this or that or that you can somehow make something out of your life by doing this or that all the while denying the sufficiency of Christ. Paul is saying you've died to that old nation. You've been separated from it. You're part of a new nation, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Why would you start acting like you're part of the old kingdom of Adam? Verse 23, he says... These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These have an appearance of wisdom. They look so good, and yet they're worthless when it comes to literally satisfying completely the flesh. They look brilliant, these rules and regulations, but they're rubbish and they won't satisfy you at all. Read with me verse 1. 
If then, says Paul, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. See, Paul wants the Colossians to see that they're not only being joined to Christ in his death, but in his resurrection new life as well. Paul would put it this way in Romans 8.11, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. The same Holy Spirit that was hovering over the waters in the book of Genesis as God created the heavens and the earth lives in us. The same Holy Spirit that came upon kings and the saints of old, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave lives in us. More that because we're joined to Christ, we're seated with him in the heavenly realm as well. You know, in Ephesians, Paul put it this way, that Jesus raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. It's amazing. Where Christ, the king, is now resurrected in glory, we are spiritually joined, seated beside him. Not because of ourselves, but because of the cross. Paul puts it this way in verse 3. He says the following. For you have died. That is, you have died to the elements. You have died to the world in rebellion. You have died to the nation of Adam. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've probably seen that thing. Okay, Brendan, that sounds kind of nice, but what does it actually mean? Well, in one sense, it means that this new spiritual life that we have is being kept safe by God, with Christ in God. You know, the word hidden carries a sense of being stored securely, being hidden, being protected. From the moment you identify with Christ and you say, yeah, I'm all about following him, You receive him and his life in and through the Holy Spirit and he will guard and protect your new life until that very last day. You know, it's an amazing comfort to anyone struggling with assurance. Nothing can touch your new life with Christ in God. It's hidden with Christ. But that's not its main meaning. Its main meaning is that the new spiritual life we have with Christ is hidden. We're joined to Christ. We're seated with him. We're filled by the Holy Spirit. We're adopted into his family. We're given new resurrection life. We're brought into a new people, but it's completely invisible to the world. We cannot physically see our new spiritual life. Have you ever wondered why Christians filled with the Holy Spirit don't have a kind of you know, special glow or a little bit of an aura that kind of like floats around them? The answer is our life is hidden with Christ. Just as Christ is hidden from view awaiting that final day where he's revealed in glory, so too is our new spiritual life. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You know, outwardly, as followers of Jesus, we look like anyone else. Our bodies are decaying slowly. We're falling apart at the seams. 
But inwardly, there's this beautiful spiritual transformation that's occurring because of our new life with Christ. Our new spiritual life means though outwardly we're fading away inwardly, every day we're being renewed and becoming more like him. Here's a question, church, I want you to think about this morning. What do you see when you think about yourself? So easy to buy into what our secular culture says about identity and define it in terms of what you do, like what you study or what career you have or what your ambitions are or what your ethnicity is or what your failures are or what your sexual desire is or what your achievements are or what possessions you have or even what ministry you partake in. Here's another question. Do you have the eyes of faith to see your true self? Can you see your new spiritual life? That you're a new spiritual creation? That you've been taken from the old world, the nation of Adam, to the new nation of Christ? That you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and joined to Christ? That you're seated with Christ in the heavens. That your new life is hidden with Christ. It's so easy to buy into the skepticism of our culture when it comes to things unseen. And to begin to believe that what is real is what you can see and what you can feel. But Paul wants the Colossians to see their new spiritual life. And more than their new spiritual life. He wants to adjust their vision to see they needed to see their new home as well. It's so easy to think about home, at least for me, and only think of through the lens of our culture. I mean, when someone asks me, where's home for you? You know, I think about the town I grew up in, in Dapto. I think of my cozy little unit in Waitara. I think of my family. I think about the nation in which we live. I think about Gladys Berejiklian and Scott Morrison our leaders, I think about my aspirations for the future and the type of home I'd love to own. And all of these in some way describe my current home, but Paul is trying to help these Christians to see their true home. Read with me again, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. There's this picture of this heavenly throne room with Christ seated at God's side. It's a reference to Psalm 110, where the Messiah, God's anointed king, sits at God's right hand waiting for his enemies to be squashed, that is, turned into footstools. It's an image of a victorious king with his enemies carrying down and his foot placed over their neck. It's a picture of this hidden yet powerful kingdom to which we've been joined, but it won't be a hidden kingdom forever. Read with me verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One day Christ will return and he will no longer be hidden, but he will be revealed in glory. And on that day, Christ will bring his new kingdom into being. We will also appear with him in glory, gloriously like him and gloriously joined to him. And our new spiritual life 
will no longer be hidden with Christ, but it will be revealed. And we will finally be home with Christ as he continues to do his work of new creation and his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And that is our new reality. We have a new spiritual life and a new home. A reality that Paul wanted these new believers in Colossae to see. Not just point one, our new reality, but point two, our new focus as well. You know, I was reading this week in my devotions, Luke twelve fifty six, and and Paul writes the following. Uh, Jesus says the following. He says, "You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time?" And I I love these verses. It reminds me every time I open the Bureau of Meteor- Meteorology app and look at the weather radar and see where the rain is and stuff, it just reminds me that we're so good at understanding this world that we live in, the earth and sky, but we're blind to see what's truly real. We miss completely what this world is meant to point to. But Paul isn't simply pointing out these truths about reality, our new spiritual life and our new home for the sake of it. He wants these truths to like radically shape us. And that's where our passage becomes incredibly practical. He doesn't just give us fresh eyes to see our true reality. He tells us how to apply these truths as well. And he gives us two practical applications this morning. Actually, they're two commands in the original language. And the first command is this. He says, to set your heart on Christ enthroned above. Read with me verse 1 again. It says this of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above. You see, this word seek, it actually means something a little more than just search for. for. It's actually more about about desire. It's talking about the heart. The sense of the word is probably best captured by the TNIV that says, set your heart on the things above. Orient your life around the things above. Well, what are the things above? The very next phrase explains it. Where Christ is. Paul is saying, orient your whole life around the reality of Christ enthroned on high. Impossible. Excuse me. Oh, that's brilliant. That's service. Look at that. Everyone, thanks, Shah, if you're at home. How amazing. Paul is saying, orient your whole life around Christ enthroned on high. Uh, Bible scholar Douglas Moo puts it so well. He says this. Paul is not saying that so much that believers should seek to possess the things above as that they are to orient themselves totally to these heavenly realities. We're not to strive for a heavenly status since that's already been freely given us in Christ. Rather, we are to make that heavenly status the guidepost of all our thinking and acting. Believers seek the things above by, listen to this, deliberately and daily committing ourselves to the values of the heavenly kingdom and living out of those values. I love that last line. Deliberately and daily 
committing ourselves to the values of the heavenly kingdom and living out of those values. Here's a question for us to think about this morning. How set is your heart on the things that are above? What has captivated your heart this morning? Is it Christ enthroned? Or is it something else? You know what, as I was thinking about it this week, I don't think this normally looks like a stark choice between Christ and the world, but rather a pattern of pull, a tendency to lean in a certain direction, a lean that's not towards sacrifice for Christ, but rather towards compromise with the world. Here's kind of a few examples. You're feeling lonely and deeply desire a relationship. And you meet someone online and they say they're a Christian, but you have a real question over where they're at. But you dive in regardless and let yourself fall for them deeply. You really love and enjoy the church community, but an amazing rental comes up 45 minutes away near the beach and you've always wanted to live near the coast, so you take it. You feel convicted that you haven't been sowing enough time into serving the church community, but you're offered a new promotion that secretly you've always wanted and you know it'll mean a lot more hours and stress, but you take it anyway. You've been struggling with purity in your relationship and your girlfriend invites you over for a movie night while her family is on holidays. You know it'll be a temptation, but you can't bear the thought of missing it, so you go for it anyway. You sense the Lord calling you to be more generous, but this amazing house comes up that's under offer It'll be tight and it's over your budget, but you can probably stretch things a little bit and make it work so you buy it. You know, none of these situations are necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but they may be reflective of a pattern of pull, of a gaze that has shifted away away from Christ enthroned and to begin to focus on the world. You know, each of these examples are designed to show rather than radical devotion to Christ enthroned, hints of compromise. Compromise in relationships. Compromise in devotion to the church community or to purity or to generosity. But look what Paul says to us in chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says, Christ is your life. That means that Christ both sustains your life, like we saw in chapter 1 of Colossians, but also is to guide your life. He's the purpose that guides your life itself. 
Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is the sustainer of your life and the guide of your life, and he lives through you. You know, if, if, if that's true, and the maker of everything that you see around you right now sits enthroned on high, and you are joined to him spiritually through faith in Jesus Christ, name a sacrifice that wouldn't worth be worth making for his sake. Losing money, lifestyle, time, owning a house, respect, a relationship, a longer commute, a career, your life. All of these are worth it a thousand times over. You get to please the king of glory. You know, we will not get to that last day and say, oh Lord, I think I was a bit over the top for Jesus in my life. I think I took it a bit far. I think I was a bit extreme for Jesus. No, we'll say, oh Lord, thank you for the privilege of being your servant. To set your heart on the things above means a daily commitment to the values of the kingdom and living out of those. It's living for the glory of Christ, no matter what the cost is. It's being an ambassador for Christ. It's sharing Christ with my colleagues and my family and my friends. It's saying with with my life, your kingdom come and it's following in the footsteps of Christ. I think for most of us, this probably means finding time every day to recommit ourselves to the cause of Christ. Now, our tendency, if you're anything like me, is just to naturally drift away. Daily, finding time to pray and say, this day is not about me, it's about you. Help me to see you enthroned. Help me to live this day as worship. Help, help me to see your kingdom and your glory to seek it above all else. Praying, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and not my kingdom come and not my will be done. But not just set your heart on Christ enthroned above. Secondly, set your mind on Christ enthroned above. Paul says in verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. Not just set your heart, set your mind as well. You see, these false teachers were preoccupied with the things in this world, like what to eat or drink, what to taste or touch. And Paul wants to be focused on Christ enthroned above, and that's all. He says, set your mind on, not just thinking intellectually about it, but to orient your whole will towards Christ and him enthroned above. Paul's saying, have this kind of habit of mind where you constantly think about, where you constantly meditate on the glory of Christ enthroned above. Paul explains it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul sought to actively discipline his thinking. He actively sought not to dwell on the past, but to focus on his goal in life, 
which was future glory with Christ. He puts it this way later on in the same passage in verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you now, tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And Paul's heart was so broken as he looked around at those whose mind was set on this world. They're enemies of Christ and they're facing destruction. But he saw that we have this glorious future with Christ. I want to ask you a question. Is Christ enthroned your regular meditation? Is Christ enthroned above your habit of mind? See, Paul wants us to help us to live in a manner worthy of Christ, and to do it, he's helping us to see we need to be disciplined in our thinking. Paul's concern is not that we try and escape from this world but to ensure that our hearts and our minds are in touch with reality so we're not deceived by this world. It's so easy to allow our minds to wander and to be filled with things that are of this world like relationships and finances and fears and investments and conflicts and failures and dreams, but we must appropriately frame all of these things with constant meditation on Christ enthroned above. To ensure that we're making regular time in God's word, reading it and praying to help us to set our mind every day on the things that are above. And here's the beautiful joy in the midst of this. When we set our minds on the things above, it gives us great joy because all of our worldly desires and concerns seem so much smaller compared to him. See, our new focus is to set our hearts and our minds on Christ enthroned above. Well, in closing, we live in a world that is blinded to the true nature of things. Our culture actively promotes the idea that there's nothing real beyond what you can see and what you can feel. Four forces, 12 particles, including the Higgs boson, the so-called God particle. As Christians, we believe in a wonderful new reality. A reality that is hidden from our view. We have a new spiritual identity and a new home that will one day be revealed. And Paul wants us to see that to live faithfully in light of this truth, we need a new focus. We need to set our hearts and our minds on Christ enthroned above. Now as I was thinking about this and as we close, I couldn't help but wonder. I wonder if there are some here, maybe in this room or listening online, who are feeling a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit guilty about all of this. You're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling guilty because you've not been setting your heart or your mind on Christ. You're thinking, what do I do? 
friends, I want to remind you of what we spoke about last week. Take all of that guilt and all of that sin and you bring it to the foot of the cross where you find mercy, forgiveness and grace. And what you need to do is to pray and ask God to open your eyes to see our Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you see him rightly, when you see him for who he is, enthroned on high, the king of glory, who would humble himself to bleed and die in shame for you, your heart will want for nothing else. Your mind will be filled with nothing else but him enthroned on high. Friends, I trust that seeing reality together this morning, we've been able to set our hearts and our minds on Christ. Would you pray with me? But Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for your beautiful and rich word to us. Lord, this morning as we gather here and listen online, we're just, we're just mindful, Lord. This is so often not our story. Lord, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Lord, we find it so easy to let our hearts and our minds just drift away from you. Lord, this morning we want to acknowledge that and we want to ask for your forgiveness, Lord. Would you forgive us by focusing more on the things you've made than on you, the maker of it all? And Lord, would you help us this morning to be people after your own heart with eyes and heart fully focused on you, the King of glory enthroned on high with whom we are forever joined and all of it by your grace. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.